you remember that time in Rome where the police kind of almost thought you were trying to like be a bomber? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was not not one of our shining moments. Uh, on New Year's Eve, no less, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. The, well, was it New Year's Eve or was it when we were getting in line to see uh, Pope Benedict for his... Uh, well, I guess... The viewing? Yeah. No, no, it was New Year's Eve because okay. we were, I think, about to go over to the restaurant to join everybody else for okay, yeah, New Year's was, Eve dinner. It was afterwards. Yeah, you're right. Okay. Um, yes. <laughs> so what, what had happened was um, we had been in the Vatican and we were leaving, but in order to get in, you know, we had to pass through security. And to they go into St. Peter's Square at all, you have to... Yeah. yeah, yeah, there was, like, double level of security. You had to get into St. Peter's Square, and then in there, you had to get into the Vatican. In the first level of security, they were not letting people come in with any water bottles, regardless if they were empty or not. So Dave had had one, and we just set it down. They had, like, these tables and stuff, so we said we'd come back and get it. And after it was done, because uh, we were with a group, Nate and I said, well, we'll go and get it real quick. Uh, and then we'll come back. When we got there, there's still a big line of people trying to get in. Yeah. So I just told Nate, well, instead of coming in line, you just, like, because I was afraid they would have to put us through security again before I was able to even get to the water bottle station. So I said, mm-hmm. well, it, it takes more time if it puts two of us in. So you just wait over here, and I'll come back. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I thought, well, basically, when you went to the line with all the people, uh, I mean, there, there's so many people moving through that even at that time. Um, I thought we were maybe going to get separated or something because you were going through security and it's kind of one way traffic. I mean, yeah, everyone, yeah. everyone at that place is normally just going into St. Peter's Square, and I don't remember. I feel like there was something gated off or like kind of fenced off so that it seemed like it wouldn't have been easy for you to come back out. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you were having to re-enter security to get my water bottle, I thought, okay, now he's going to be stuck in St. Peter's Square and I'm not going to know where he goes. So I got to keep an eye out for watch where he goes so that I can meet up with him somewhere else. So I was standing really close to the security line, the security checkpoint, to watch you go in so I could see uh, what happened. Um, and then I was just standing there right by kind of the gate with all these people around. And I was standing with uh, a knapsack. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it had, like, basically nothing in it. Like, maybe, like, some snacks or, like, clothing. I don't know. But it wasn't it wasn't much in it. But, like, this little knapsack. And then I was just watching you, and uh, my back was to a group of police officers, uh, and I just kind of was standing there kind of waiting. I just set down the knapsack and was standing next to it. So, so I just imagined somebody, a stranger, like if you're a police officer, you see this this kid uh, in a large group of people near a huge national monument. I mean, like, yeah, it's the Vatican, uh, setting down mm-hmm. a knapsack with unidentified objects inside right on the ground and just standing there like he's waiting for something like well yeah so so i saw <laughs> this so nate you know getting closer and at first i was like okay that's fine um but he was also in like there was no other really other people there There was like only a couple of yeah i was off to the, the side officers. from the line of people so but then when he put the bag down i saw the police officers behind him start looking at him and like pointing and talking so from the line i was like nate like back up yeah and he's like no no i'm staying here i'm like no Back up. I thought you were making sure, like from my end, I thought you were making sure that I grabbed the right one. And I was like, I know which one it looks like. Like, No, I was fine. making sure we didn't get separated. Yeah, and I didn't know that. But I was just like, no, back up. Pick up your bag now. And back up. And you're like, no, no, I'm not leaving you. I'm like, yeah. it's fine. I know what your bottle looks like. You're like, I don't care. No. 
And then we were like started like yelling at each other from the line. Which also, pro- I mean, somebody probably noticed that too. So that probably oh, looks yeah. very suspicious itself. Well, yeah, they were st- the police officer started taking a step towards you. Well, because they obviously they speak Italian, so they just hear people in another language yelling at each other. Yeah, and kind of frantically. Yeah. yeah. So, so then basically, yeah, you're yelling at me to get away, which obviously in retrospect was perfectly reasonable. But like I said, I, my back was to the police officer, so I'm like, okay, like, come on, I'm just like a well-intended tourist with a knapsack like yeah. big deal but obviously from their perspective they can't assume that so thankfully eventually you did convince me to, to walk away so then i picked up my knapsack and walked away and then they chilled out I think. well i finally said dude like the police officers behind you they're staring at you and i think they're gonna like grab you i think they think you're a bomber so move yeah. and you're like oh, fine and you finally did and i finally found your water bottle we got back together we were both very bad at each other yeah we walked in silence or i don't know we might have it might not have been silence. We might have been yelling at each other briefly and then just walked in silence. Yeah, because, well, you finally said, like, well, I was afraid we were going to get separated. And then I felt bad. But I also was afraid that, like, dude, like, if those police officers, gra- like, grabbed you and took you away, I would have no idea what to do. Yeah, and this is also maybe a little bit too practical, but I was thinking in my mind, like, okay, like, I, I don't get your concern because literally as soon as they open the knapsack, they'd see, like, an apple in there. So, like, what, what, well, yeah, what's, but- what bad thing is going to happen? Um so that, that was my mind. Is like, okay, worst case scenario, they were to like, like try to arrest me, but like they're not going to arrest somebody for having a knapsack with like yeah. a water bottle or an apple. So in my mind, it's like, okay, big deal. Like I know I'm in a fine situation, so nothing bad's going to happen to me. But obviously, you were just being protective. But it definitely made us both very angry at each other. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, we we kind of uh, let our emotions get the better of us for sure in that regard. Um, and I think that's. Um, sometimes a, a point of i don't know tension uh in in sp- the spiritual life or or just in like as we grow to be more virtuous is what what is the role what is the dynamic of emotions or passions whatever word you want to use in those areas because especially in like charismatic movements you know it seems like prayer is all about feeling sometimes yeah. and it's not it's not but it can be perceived that way. And some people do take it to, so far. Right. And they're only praying that way because it feels good. And but you also they... could have the other extreme uh, that you see with other people on the like other end of the spectrum, uh, especially among very traditional people or, or people of just other kind of uh, philosophical standpoints who are like, oh, no, when it comes to spiritual life or growing as a person, you need to kind of suppress your emotions or like ignore them because they'll, they'll only deceive you. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's itself. So, yeah, you kind of have th- those two extremes. Right. And, like, from then, again, going back to what I was saying, like, the charismatics, if, like, like they don't feel something, then they think they're doing something wrong or they yeah. think that God doesn't love them, maybe, or whatever. Or from the other side, if, like, they start to feel something, it's like, oh, the devil's tempting me towards yeah, this. And it's exactly. Like, Bro, no. <laughs> neither of those is correct. Literally, yeah. Um, so what – how how should we then begin to incorporate – what's the what's the role – of passions we'll just start like what are these ideas of passions or emotions to begin with because i would could say like oh you're being a super emotional person you know that's like a thing that we like some people say like oh you're yeah. only thinking with your emotions right and especially in this day and age i mean especially with like a lot of the movements and people are going they're not really thinking philosophically or rationally through their decisions they totally. are really thinking with their emotions yeah. so we have to be careful to keep our emotions in check yeah but i think i feel like then a tendency would be to be so suspicious of them 
that we reject them. So right. What are what are the emotions philosophically? Well, I mean, one one big thing I think just linguistically, obviously, when we're speaking about passions, we're speaking about it comes from uh, the Latin word to suffer, meaning like it, you kind of it's it's the same term from which we get the word passive as opposed to active. So whenever we're speaking about passions, we're speaking about something that is, uh, in some sense, comes upon you, not something that you necessarily choose or can always control. Okay, like, yeah, like right. you can't always control your feelings. I mean, you, for the most part, uh, if you try to control your feelings all the time, that's that's a very unhealthy thing. So right. whenever we're speaking about passions, I think it's important, first of all, to, to name that they are things that happen to us and they're not really active or things that we actively can, can cause or always control. Um, but even within that, we can direct our passions in a certain mm-hmm. way and orient yeah. them. And particularly in like, uh, I guess traditional philosophy, there's a certain kind of two main categories of these kind of passions that we can orient one way or the other. Um, you know more about that, but th- yeah, do you want to say yeah, what those so, two are? Yeah. So they, f- these, the passions themselves fall under what is called the appetitive part of the soul. Right. Um, so we have our will and our intellect, um, which those are the higher level, you know, mm-hmm. um, and then what the rational nature part of the soul. We, we have the rational and non-rational. And yeah. in, in the non-rational, there's things like, you know, your basic uh, kind of, I mean, to speak in Aristotle's terms, like your nutritive faculty, like, yeah. okay, your desire for growth or the, the, the aspect of your soul that causes growth and, and things like that. And then also there's other aspects like that lead to you being able to move around. Mm-hmm. And then there's on the other end though, the rational, uh, which is, you know, your ability to think and choose this or that thing, but then kind of in between kind of bridging the gap is yeah. what you're talking about the appetitive. So you're the desiring part of your soul. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So just to make that distinction is that, but like you said, these are things that are acted upon. They're being acted upon us. We're right. not acting. So the will and the intellect are how we act. Yeah. And then the appetitive part of the soul that is which receives these passions on them that's where they're coming from so yeah there's two categories the we're called the concupiscible passions and the irascible passions so the uh, concupiscible and we use the words passions and emotions interchangeably here yeah so the irascible uh emotions are or sorry go back the concupiscible emotions are those which are our desires towards a good or bad uh, s- viewed simply, like just objectively, just in and sim- of itself. Yeah. Yeah. So the those would be emotions such as love. You desire something good, simply what you want, right? Yeah. Um, or hate. You don't like what is bad. Mm-hmm. Or um, desire. You're yearning for a love or a good that you don't have yet. Mm-hmm. Or aversion. You want to stay away from a bad. Right. Um, joy when you have the good thing, or sorrow when you're deprived of it. Or when you're stuck with a bad thing. Mm-hmm. So the concupiscible passions then are sort of just a very fundamental thumbs up, thumbs down response yeah, on exactly. our part to anything, any object that we encounter in and of itself. So like, oh, that is a good thing. Immediately, I love it. Yeah. That is a bad thing. I hate it. Yeah, kind of exactly. apart from anything that may go along with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Versus the irascible, which is our feelings towards a good or bad that is either difficult to obtain or hard to endure. Um, so for those would be examples of that would be hope and despair. So we hope for a, like a good, let's say heaven, but it's a lot hard. It's hard to get there. Right. Or despair that like, oh, it's so hard to get there. Like I'll never do it. Mm -hmm. Um, or that, oh, this really 
like an abusive situation or relationship. Like it's difficult on me. I'll never get out of it. Despair. Um, and then, uh, confidence versus fear, uh, or another bravery, courage, that's just another word for confidence. Basically you see, uh, a a good that's hard to get, but you're still willing to fight for it. Right. Um, or a bad that's hard to fight back, but you're still going to versus fear, which is fleeing from those things because it's, you can't get it. Right. And then the last one is anger, which, uh, is being stuck with an evil for a long time. So anger actually rises from sadness. So if you're stuck, Interesting. initially you, uh, or sorrow, I should say. Yeah. So in joy, you have the good thing, right? You're happy. Mm-hmm. Sorrow, you're stuck with a bad thing. And well, it's hard to endure. Yeah. So then if you have sorrow for long enough, it often leads to anger because now it's not just like, oh, I have this bad thing, but it's almost an injustice. So anger is a response to a perceived injustice that we have. Okay. Thank you very much. I think it's actually a really clear, I guess, division of them. And I imagine these two uh, or these two sets could be experienced kind of in tandem. Like I imagine. Oh, yeah. Like, for example, considering the concupiscible passion of love, like you could love a thing or love a person, for example, if you were like in love. Mm -hmm. Um, But then. Along with that, you could also have the uh, irascible passion of hope, like hope that you might maintain a relationship with them or something like that, or even down the road, even though it might be challenging. It might be hard, right? So I guess these these can go together. They're not like either or all the yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. So then uh, Aquinas talks about these virtue, there are these passions a lot, and how they actually should be connected to virtue. Mm-hmm. In contrast to earlier <laughs> philosophical traditions, such as the Stoics, yeah. which said that. If you had virtue, that actually meant the elimination of emotion from wow. your life. So then in our conversation, like I asked about what do you think the role of virtue and passions and virtue, uh, the spiritual life and passions are um, based on what I was talking about in emotions. What what do you think? How How could those passions that I explained, how could those help us or deter us in growing in the spiritual life or growing in virtue? Right. That's a great question. I think a lot of it in my mind goes back to uh, ideas presented in the Nicomachean Ethics, which is uh, one of Aristotle's most famous works, Mm -hmm. where he basically kind of gives an account of virtue and what it means to be virtuous and and what it means to be happy, ultimately. But when he's describing virtue, he it's interesting. He doesn't uh, unlike the Stoics, maybe he doesn't just uh, frame it as some way of thinking or Mm -hmm. something purely rational, but rather it's actually something that has to do with uh, your passions and the correct ordering of your passions. So, for example, he says um, a virtuous man isn't just someone who maybe doesn't feel fear, but who directs his fear in the right way and who has like a, per- a right balance between uh, – he kind of uh, – often he, he describes virtues as the means between two extreme passions. Right. So yeah, yeah. you might have fear on one extreme and recklessness on the other, but the right balance of those oriented in the right way uh, you can is courage, the yeah. virtue of courage. So for Aristotle, and I think similarly for Thomas Aquinas, um, like you're saying, virtue is not the repression of emotions, but it's the correct orientation of them towards towards something good, and the, the correct balancing of them. Because mm-hmm. um, obviously, like we said, it's it's not they're not perfectly uh, rational. They they yeah, they yeah. affect us more than we sometimes affect them. Yes. But we can direct them in a certain way, and when we do that, we can we can attain virtue. Um, I guess, because I think really the issue with the Stoics is uh, their idea of virtue as, like you said, being this uh, almost like 
Buddhist yeah, yeah. Uh, serenity that's completely free of any passion, it really, practically speaking, I think it would impede you from acting very strongly one way or the other. Yeah, that's true, because you don't... You're not letting yourself feel one way or the other. Exactly. So I think what the correct approach is when you're trying to build virtue is actually just, uh, rather than just thinking a certain way, it's actually, it comes down to habituating your feelings and your passions in a certain way so that, that you behave well. Um, but that, which is why, just one more thing relating to the ethics of Aristotle, uh, he says, you can imagine a man who's like bad mm-hmm. and vicious and he wants to become good. He has to go through this uh, kind of process of self-habituation where first he, you know, in his mind, in his rational part of his his soul, he perceives the good thing to do and the right way to live. But it's hard for him, right? Because yeah. his passions are ordered wrongly and his passions mm-hmm. have gotten accustomed to doing the wrong thing. Um, so like a man who is really intemperate, who like drinks all the time, um, he may reach a point where he like, okay, I need to turn this around. I need to change my life and do and do better. In his mind, he's thinking, I need to do better. But his passions are still like, I want alcohol all the time. Yeah. Or I want to eat, overeat all the time. Um, and it, he, even as if he's doing the right thing, even if he goes through a, a process of behaving temporarily and not overeating or not overdrinking, um, as long as his passions are still craving yeah. those same bad tendencies, as Aristotle sees it, that man is still not virtuous yet. Even though rationally he's... Pursuing mm-hmm. the right thing and even making right choices, he's still not virtuous until his passions finally get aligned with what his reason is telling him to do. Yeah. When his passions finally reach the point where he says, "You know what? No, I actually enjoy eating temperately mm-hmm. or drinking moderately." That's when you know the person's virtuous. So the real test uh, of a person being virtuous or not, as Aristotle and Aquinas I think see, it, is whether their passions are rightly ordered, not just their their reason. Yeah. No, and that goes right to Aquinas when he says that. The truly virtuous man is passionate for more virtue. Yeah. So like you were saying, the difference between a continent, which is the guy you're describing, right. versus a virtuous man is the continent man does the right things, but he doesn't love doing them. Yes. Whereas a virtuous man might have to start as a continent man in order mm-hmm. to get his his body to start doing what it's supposed to do. Yeah. And then eventually his passions will follow. And that's, again, back to the Stoics. They're a very, like you said, it's almost like an impractical um, or just like it's a very like, you know, do they really feel one way or the other? It's because yeah. they're a very duty based ethic. Mm. So you are your duty to the community and to your country is primary for them. Interesting. So as long as you're fulfilling for, like your duties to the community, mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter how you feel. And mm. in fact, you actually you shouldn't be doing do something for your community and your country because you it makes you feel good. But simply because you're supposed to do it. Yeah. Um, which is how we should begin virtue, mm-hmm. because if we only followed virtue according to how we feel in our passions, yeah. we'll never really Actually get become there. virtuous. Right? But that's why Aquinas says, yes, virtues pa- uh, are we need virtue and we need our passions to get to that virtuous point. But before we do that, we first have to follow what our will. Mm-hmm. So we re- reason first what is good, what is mm-hmm. virtuous. Then that uh, reason informs our will how to act, right. and then our then we tell ourselves to act that way. Mm-hmm. And eventually, uh, repeating that in our action, then our v- passions need to be in conform with that will so that they also long for what the will tells them to do. Yeah. Um, which is really tricky, mm-hmm. uh, especially like when you were describing like doing the good thing but still your passions being ordered to the other thing. I think that's a real hard point in Christianity mm-hmm. is like 
I know, and I struggle with that myself. It's like, Same. like I St. Paul talks about this yeah. too, right? I I do that which I hate. Yeah. Um, and that which I should do, I do not do. Mm-hmm. Um, and Augustine, it's one of his nature. famous prayers, right? Is God make me chase, just not yet. Yeah. He has that desire, right? Uh, in the will, but not in his passions. And I think in Christianity, we get really, really, we despair. You know, mm-hmm. fall into this irascible emotion. We despair of like, well, you know, I'm doing these good things, but I don't feel like I want to do them. Mm-hmm. So how how do we how do we work on growing those emotions to finally come to that point where it's like, yes, I'm doing the good thing, and I actually want to do the good thing. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, that that is a hard question, I guess, because if I knew the answer, <laughs> I feel like I'd be in a much better place in my own spiritual life. But in reality, sometimes I feel like what you just described, that whole conflict uh, within ourselves is kind of just the essence of the human condition. Mm-hmm. Like what, what St. Paul talks about, doing the thing he, he hates. I, I feel like um, ideally we can reach the point in this life where our passions are perfectly aligned with our will. But sometimes it feels like this entire lifetime will never quite reach that point. Yeah, There's always going to be some aspect of our passion that is... Uh, at war with the things that our reason tells us are good. And so it, it's it's hard to, to answer that, like what you're saying, of, or that question you asked of how can we grow in that. Um, I think practically speaking, one big thing is uh, the recognition of uh, our own human condition. Yeah, yeah. And realizing, look, it's it's not like we're freaks. It's not that there's something abnormal with us that we want to do the things we know are wrong. That is just an unfortunate effect of original sin. And that, that may not change for most of this life uh, yeah. for us. Um, but an- another big thing is recognizing that uh, it's not purely a matter of us just white-knuckling our way to holiness yeah, or to exactly. virtue. It has to come uh, through our dependency on God. Mm-hmm. Because uh, that's that's one real challenge with reading Aristotle when he's describing this this path to virtue is realizing um, – and he, he kind of, there's certain chapters of his ethics that are almost kind of hopeless where he talks about, yeah, there may be some people that are just not habituated this way and they may never become habituated this Oof, way because yeah. there's really no way for them to get in touch with virtue. Hmm. Um, and that would be true if virtue purely came down to our, uh, our will and our personal motivation. Like, oh, I'm just going to try really hard and over time I'm just going to order my passions, like whatever it takes. But that amount of uh, strength isn't really truly within us. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, so instead, we need to rely on on God's assistance and trust in Him, trust the process that He's allowing for us, and particularly pursue the sacraments and virtue. Yeah, uh, and also prayer, because basically the sacraments and prayer are just kind of the two amazing opportunities where He gives us His grace, so that we're allowed enabled to to attain virtue. Because if it was just our own strength. Uh, we would never actually be able to attain the perfection of virtue because our, like I said, our passions are disordered. Our passions mm-hmm. do want to do the things we know are wrong. Yeah. And so um, on our own, we couldn't do it. But if we like realize, okay, that's, that's fine. That's just the human condition. I got to embrace it. But in, in spite of that challenge, we just turn to God and particularly in the sacraments that I think can give us the grace to do things that otherwise would be impossible and can over, over time uh, habituate our passions um, to doing the right thing in a way that just our own personal motivation or uh, human uh, strength couldn't. Yeah. But I don't know. What, what no, do you think? You, uh, you actually, the, the two things I was going to say is prayer, constant prayer, because if we think, like you said, that 
we can over time eventually force our passions or like that it'll always happen eventually that they'll fully align with like our will like that's never going to happen it's only if we really allow god ask god to order our passions too right um we we can pray emotionally but we have to also ask god to to guide those emotions Mm -hmm. and then yeah grace all of this and i think aquinas even says this at one point he said still all of this means nothing if god's grace is not part of our life um because we could not ever really reach a virtuous point if god's grace doesn't lead us there yeah he instills us with virtue yes but like Greater virtue is only possible through grace. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, two things I kind of want to shift to. One, actually, I was just at World Youth Day. You know that. Yeah, that was awesome. Um, and there was uh, – we were listening to a reflection by this bishop, um, and he said, you know, there are some of you here – You know, he was talking about virtue. Do you remember who it was? Uh, no, I heard so many bishops. Sorry, I don't okay. remember which one it was. You're about um, He said, you know, think about – okay, we – he was talking about virtue and like how to live a virtuous life and that that's yeah. the only way that's going to change our culture is if mm-hmm. we actually start to truly live virtuous lives. Yeah. So he said, okay, if I asked you one, what's one virtue you really think you lack? I'm sure all of you can come up with that. Mm-hmm. Right. He said, but then also I will say on the other hand, what's one virtue you really think that God has just given you the grace to really come to easily. Mm-hmm. Right. And so he's kind of reflecting on that. He said, both of those are areas for how to grow in community. So one, if you're struggling with a virtue, you probably know someone else who excels at that virtue. So not only prayer and the sacraments, which are the primary way to yeah. grow in virtue, but also seek someone else out yeah. who you know is shining in that virtue and ask them to help you. Mm-hmm. But then on the other hand, if you have virtues that kind of are coming to you way more easily, that your passions are way more aligned to your will just yeah. naturally – exude those and offer to help other people it's it's not as long as you don't do it arrogantly mm-hmm. if you're like hey i noticed that like your discipline in eating or like your discipline in consistent prayer is not like shining i'm still growing in these areas but i feel like god's given me a grace to like be pretty virtuous or like yeah. strong in these like could i help you that's not, not judgmental that's no I, kindness I, I want you to come to heaven and right. the best way to go to heaven is by living the beatitudes and living the beatitudes is living virtue so yeah it, it yeah and but then immediately saying like but also like hey i need help in this area right and that also takes us away from this idea that pursuit of virtue become is a singular autonomous thing yeah like i have to become virtuous in this this mm-hmm. this area yes but it's only dependent on god's grace and the help of the community mm-hmm. if if you're helping me if you weren't meant to help me in virtue then why would god create a community of the church right. absolutely if if every person could come to virtue on their own the church doesn't make any sense mm-hmm. but since we clearly can't that's why the church exists yeah um, yeah that, that's a beautiful point yeah it's been said so many times before but that famous quote no man is an island yeah is particularly exactly. true of of growth in the area of virtue and i think what you're you just like you hit the nail on it because um that is one thing that i think a lot of people lack in their understanding of growing towards perfection is the understanding that you can only do it in a community. Yeah. Um, a lot of people, uh, are, are keen to their own like insufficiencies mm-hmm. and their own failures and, and they're less aware of their own, um, like virtues, like you're saying. Uh, but like on both those ends, they can be driven towards isolation, either because they, they feel, okay, like I'm lesser than all the people around me, so I just got to work on this stuff all on my own. Mm-hmm. Or if they do become aware of their own virtues or gifts, they don't 
that they feel like, oh, I don't want to be judgmental. So they yeah. don't do the other thing you're talking about where they can, as brothers and sisters, um, go to their fellow members of the church and be like, hey, can I help you in this area? Because they don't want to seem judgmental. Or they don't want to seem condescending. Yeah. So for both those reasons, I think people can isolate themselves. But like you're saying, it's really important if we're growing as a community to just kind of put aside our pride and just actually embrace the fact that we all have gifts and we all have struggles. And the only way that we're all going to reach perfection is by working together mm-hmm. and supporting one another so that we can overcome our struggles together and then just continue to grow in our in our strengths and our virtues. Yeah. Um, and that's – so that's unity, right? The yeah. transcendental of unity. So virtue and the cultivation of virtue – if our passions are ordering us, right, that that, that brings us into a unity. It's also uh, living virtue is to actually live the transcendentals. Yeah. It is to live goodness. Absolutely. It is to live beauty. It is to live truth. Um, because it is only in virtue that we become closer to God and to one another. Mm-hmm. And that those are – and coming closer to God is to come closer to beauty, good, and true itself. Yeah. Um, and one point I wanted to hit real quick before we close is this uh, in the spiritual life. We were talking about emotions and virtue a lot. Um, and we mentioned prayer. And I want to kind of go back to the role of emotions in prayer. Because mm-hmm. like we started, like some people say like, oh, put them all like, you know, it's very emotional. Right. And some people say it's totally dead. Like don't, you know. Yeah. Um, how How can we pray emotionally but properly? Um I, it was something that was very helpful I heard in college uh, when I was kind of like debating about some of this stuff was God is not afraid of how we pray to him. Mm-hmm. He only is afraid that we never do. Um, so like hearing that like God is okay if you're mad at him and you like in your prayer, you're clearly frustrated. Yeah. Um, or you're just like saying like, why is every like kind of a despair? Mm-hmm. Like, why is all this going on? Or praying really joyfully. I don't think we do that enough. Mm-hmm. We kind of pray in a sorrow or in like, oh. Yeah. But like, thank you, God. This is awesome. This has been amazing. Right. Um, some people, I know some people say, oh, that's, that's so superficial. Like, God knows you're like, yeah. everything's given you. But how can, do you pray emotionally at all? Or what's your experience with that? Or yeah. Do, how, how do you think we could do it properly? And how does it help us in our spiritual life? Yeah. I think one really important thing to recognize is that. On one hand, emotions can be deceptive, and so we shouldn't purely judge the quality of our prayer or spiritual life based off the quality of our emotions. Yeah. But on the other hand, we got to recognize emotions are not an effect of original sin. Yeah. They're yeah, they're yeah, gifts yeah. from God, and in fact, we worship a God who wept. Mm, yeah. We speak of Jesus who wept, and and you know one of the deepest prayer experiences of his life on earth was in the Garden of Gethsemane, which was, you know, he was so stressed emotionally that he was bleeding or he was sweating blood right so yeah and he flipped over the temple tables out of anger right and there are other moments where he showed immense joy so we believe in a god who is not buddha we believe in a god who is extraordinarily emotional and very in touch with his emotions in in the most beautiful way so i think first of all it's important to kind of just write off uh those two extremes that we talked about for Mm -hmm. one hand saying those those people who want to purely identify prayer as a, as a matter of emotions, you want to say, no, that's that's not correct, because sometimes you won't feel anything in prayer. Yeah, because Christ on the cross, that's his greatest prayer, and he definitely felt nothing. Right, exactly. And you think of Amer- like amazing spiritual warriors like uh, Mother Teresa, who yeah. for decades in prayer felt literally nothing, even though while she was doing these wonderful things in India, yeah. she felt nothing. So we don't want to go to that extreme and think, oh, prayer is just a matter of emotion. But also the, the other extreme is really dangerous where you say, oh, like, emotion should have no part in prayer. Because what happens if you think that way is you you can kind of, you can end up 
staying at best in the position of the Stoics almost, but just mm-hmm. framed in, in Christianity where, like you said, it's purely duty bound, your, your relationship yeah. to God. It's like, okay, well, I'm just going to fulfill my duties. And beyond that, I have no affection for our Lord. You should have affection. You should have emotion for him. Yeah. And so I think in, in prayer, the way to get that balance, I, I, I think this more and more is sometimes the way to get balance in our Christian lives in a lot of ways is a little bit of fluctuation, kind of moving back and forth, mm-hmm. um, not going to the full extremes, but kind of working our way back and forth between between them a little bit, because because our human nature is such that we are always changing. We can't always expect to go right down the middle and perfectly balance things. Yeah. So instead, I think the, the a good way to do that in our own prayer experiences in our spiritual life is to kind of meander at some moments, having prayer that is more in a sense rational. And where we are mm-hmm. identifying the greatness of God in a kind of logical way, and in a way that is rooted in truth and concrete things, especially reading the Scripture, you know, yeah, getting yeah, to know yeah. the truths of the faith. But at other moments, allowing ourselves to be exposed to kind of more emotional experiences of prayer in adoration. Um, some people love praise and worship music at adoration, mm-hmm. sometimes that can touch your heart in a way that uh, other forms of prayer won't. Or Ignatian spirituality, yeah, where you're, yeah, you know, yeah. you're meditating on Scripture in a very personal way, in a way that's you know, what entering the you. story, yeah, like entering the story, like the the sights and sounds of a gospel story, things like that, that kind of, so you, you have some variety in your spiritual life where you experience the emotion at some point more and experience the the rationality of our faith mm-hmm. more at other times, but. Yeah, and just to, to fully bring your emotions into prayer, because if, if you if you deny them, um, then that's, almost, that's to deny part of what God created in you. Yeah. But to go too much is to say that that's almost like all there is to your identity. Exactly. Um, so to say that, no, your your will and your intellect still come first, but these are not like a, oh, somewhere down the line. Like they're they're right up there. Yeah. And, and the will is supposed to pull the emotions towards itself, not mm-hmm. to dis, not to like leave a barrier. Mm-hmm. Um, so let yourself, let yourself be caught up first in God. Mm-hmm. But if he's asking to catch your emotions up in that too, mm-hmm. then let him. Yeah. yeah. Um, but also don't get carried away. Right. And then if you all of a sudden feel dryness that think that God has abandoned you, no, right. um, cause Christ is closest in like dryness and suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, but just as he gave the woman at the well, you know, life giving water. So he also thirsted. And, and so like just while he will refresh us, he will also ask us to be dry and mm-hmm. thirsty at times. Right. Um, but none of that is to say that emotions are, you know, one way or the other, Yeah. but Simply just pray also that God directs your emotions the way he desires them to. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, just in kind of in closing, I agree with what you're saying. Like just being free from the extremes is just a, a good way, a holy yeah. Christian well, way to live. Like but Aristotle, right? The mean between two mean extremes. Between, honestly, exactly. So yeah. virtue of passion is, yeah, the <laughs> so mean true. between two extremes. And that even carries over in spiritual life. But it just reminded me of that one um, passage from St. Paul where he says, if I have all like wisdom or knowledge, but I have not love, yeah, um, and nothing. that can even I think include emotional expressions of love. I'm a clang symbol, yeah, and but it can go the other way too. If you have all the emotional expressions of love, even for our Lord and for others, but you don't have any wisdom or knowledge or anything yeah. logical, then you're, you're not a clang a symbol. You just you make no sound at all in my mind. Mm. So mm. we want to be a beautiful instrument, not a clang symbol that has no love or just a soundless like nothingness. We want we want to be. It's really beautiful in our prayer life. And so the way to do that is, like you said, to have both. Awesome. Well, thanks, Nate. And thank you all for joining us. Uh, if you stuck around the whole time, it's awesome. We appreciate it. Uh, this has been another episode of All Good in the Brotherhood. 
We hope that you continue to keep on listening. Uh, please rate us on Spotify. Share with your friends and family on social media, whatever. Um, comment below on Spotify, whatever it is. Uh, we want to continue to grow this. Uh, and if this episode has been helpful at all to you, we'd love to hear about it. So have a fantastic and God bless day. Yeah, have a most bodacious day, guys. All right, peace out.